What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the PC Speaking Podcast. This is episode number 89. Doesn't seem like there should be that many of them, but here we are. Um, I've started something new. I'm publishing a weekly blog, sometimes more than weekly. If you are interested in reading that, looking at it, I talk about different things, often a reiteration of what we've talked about on the podcast. I'll be publishing that through social media channels. Um, You can follow me at PC Speaking, uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Also, If you have any questions that you might like me to have a go at answering, you can send those to Pastor Chris Miller at hinderlandbaptist.com. And I will try to answer those either in the blog or in a future podcast. I'll do, do what I can with them. Today, we continue on in part two of our series, The Whole Armor of God. And today we're talking about the belt of truth. We're going to reiterate some of the things we've talked about regarding spiritual warfare and also get into the belt of truth. So let's begin by reading our text from Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 18 today. I've got these on the screen over here to my left. You're welcome to follow along in your Bible, listen, whatever you might like to do. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication. To that end, be alert with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Well, we jumped into this series last week by talking about spiritual warfare. We started to dig into that to gain a better understanding of what it is, what it involves, where it takes place, what it's about. And a better understanding of spiritual warfare is an essential foundation to work from when we learn about the whole armor of God. And we said last week that we would be building on that as we go through this series, and we will be doing some more of that today. One of the most basic understandings of spiritual warfare is that it's not a physical battle. It doesn't rely on our strength, our ability, but it's a battle against spiritual powers seeking to oppose God and seeking to rob people of the knowledge of God, to deceive them. And Paul specifically says that our battles 
not against flesh and blood. And so it's essential that we don't fall into the trap of viewing people, other people in the world, as the enemy in spiritual warfare. Even though it might occasionally seem that way, they're not the enemy. We don't fight against flesh and blood. And we also must avoid the common pitfall of seeing the battle as somewhere out there, outside of our home, outside of ourselves, outside of our church building. The truth is, is the battle line is drawn in our own hearts and in our own minds, and it takes place as we strive each day to live in obedience to Jesus. The battle is for whether we will see people follow Jesus or fall with Satan. And as we step into the battle of spiritual warfare, and make no mistake, you are in the battle, Paul implores us to put on the whole armor of God. Not a piece or a few pieces, not to exchange and interchange them, not to occasionally put them on, but to put them on because a partial set of armor is only partially effective. Putting on the armor involves prayer and obedience to Christ. And it is in obedience to Christ that we find opposition. If you don't have to discipline yourself, if you don't find yourself straining to win the battle, you're probably losing the battle. Spiritual forces of darkness do not oppose you if you don't obey Christ. Have you ever thought about that, drilled into that thought a bit? Spiritual forces of darkness do not oppose you if you do not obey Christ. If you do not concern yourself with disciplining yourself to live in obedience to Christ, the enemy has no interest in you. That's because you are already serving his purpose. Living in obedience to Christ is synonymous with living as an adversary to Satan. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, Uh, Peter writes this, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober and watchful because your adversary, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him firmly in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. To humble yourself before God and submit yourself to him means to resist the devil and make him your adversary. Humility and submission before God is the antithesis of Satan and evil. The two are entirely incompatible with each other in every possible way. There is no compromise between the two of those. And we mentioned a couple of snares Christians fall into in spiritual warfare, one of them being that we uh, potentially view people as the enemy when our enemy is not flesh and blood. Um, If you can see your enemy, you are battling against the wrong enemy. Uh, Another snare that we often become entangled in is seeing the battle as as somewhere out there when the reality is is that the, the front line of the battle is in our heart, in our mind, as we make decisions each and every day to live in obedience to Jesus. Now, another common pitfall in spiritual warfare, and this may be the most common of all, is viewing the battle as something more dramatic 
than it really is. Now, that doesn't mean it's unimportant, but it's usually not that dramatic. I've mentioned before, spiritual warfare is a topic that's easy to drown in. When you say spiritual warfare, it often piques people's interest. They're like, oh, that's, you know, they want to know about it. They kind of get caught up in it. They find it an exciting topic. But when I was in the military, I was in some situations that were uh, more than just training situations that involved a genuine threat, real weapons and live rounds, the real deal. And when I tell people that, it piques their interest. They're curious. They want to hear about it. You know, people have seen movies and they're expecting some kind of dramatic story like something you might see in a movie. Well, I'll tell you what it's usually like. The reality is, is that in situations like that, 99% of the time, the most significant battle we fought was with absolute mind-numbing boredom. The difficult part was trying to stay awake, trying to stay alert, training, trying to train hard, stay engaged, doing the same thing you've already done a thousand times, a thousand times more, and trying to do it with enthusiasm, trying to keep your gear clean, trying to keep your gear serviced. That's where the battle is won, is in the mundane things. It's just not like a movie. Not saying that things like that don't happen, but the battle is won in the everyday simple decisions that that almost seem boring. In spiritual warfare, and then and sometimes this disappoints people when they find this out or when they figure it out. It's rarely dramatic, uh, but the battle is won or lost in the everyday mundane parts of life. We face the battle of war, spiritual warfare every day in you know building a godly marriage over time in raising children in fear and admonition of the lord the little day-to-day decisions that we make that's where the battle takes place and living out our faith in simple and practical ways in our community day after day week after week year after year every time you fight to control your tongue to love your wife to respect your husband, to share your faith, to not visit a website that you know you shouldn't. You are fighting a spiritual battle. That's where spiritual warfare takes place. Some of you fought a spiritual battle to get to church on Sunday. Um, Some of you won that battle. Some of you lost that battle. We expect they're dramatic. You know, people think Satan is going to crash through the front door like, Frankenstein. But the reality is, is that Satan knocks politely. He comes in, sits down, says, hey, I brought some donuts. How's it going? Wow, you've had a really big week. You must be really tired. You know what? You should you should probably take today off. You should stay home and rest. You can always go next week. It, it's not that big a deal if, if, you, if you miss one Sunday, right? And then he shows up again the next week and he, he says the same thing. And that goes on and on and on. And it's a busy morning. You know, you can always start that Bible reading program tomorrow. You're tired tonight. You know, you can pray tomorrow. You can read your Bible tomorrow. There's no reason to do it tonight. Just relax and chill out. Satan comes over after church on Sunday and he says, you know, I really didn't get anything out of that sermon. Did you? I thought it was kind of boring. You know, I, 
you know, I don't know why you bother to volunteer there. You know, no one really appreciates what you do anyway. And they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. I don't even know why you bother to show up. That's what Satan says. Satan says, no one's going to know what you're doing online. You know, it's the privacy of your own home, man. Do whatever you want. It's not that big of a deal. Just delete your browser history so your wife doesn't see it. And someone says, oh, gosh, but it, but it's hard. It's hard to do these things. You know, it's hard to make the effort after a long week to go to church. It's hard to control my internet use, whatever it might be. That's why it's called warfare. Battles are not easy. The battle is fought each day through 100 small decisions you make day by day. That's why Peter says, stay awake, be vigilant, be alert. That's where the devil employs schemes. That's where he seeks to devour his in our everyday decisions. He wants to influence those. He wants to keep us from living in obedience to Christ. That is the battle of spiritual warfare. Every decision you make is gradually shaping who you will be tomorrow. If you aren't winning day-to-day battles for your own heart and mind, you won't win any battles for the hearts and minds of others. And once you get your head around the idea that spiritual warfare is not a big, dramatic kind of one-off event, it's not something happening out there somewhere, but it is a daily grind of small decisions that you make and keep on making in obedience to Christ. What happens, once you figure that out, it keeps you from being gullible. It keeps you from falling into the snare of superficial Christianity where it's all about, oh God, you know, it's his job to make me happy and silly things like that. When you begin to understand that Christianity is not an airy-fairy thing, but a daily grind, you also learn that in that you're not going to be sustained by emotion or hype or personal motivation or, you know, an hour in church on Sunday with great worship, whatever. And there be there will be times when those things are present and they will be helpful, but you can't rely on those kinds of things to sustain you in long-term spiritual warfare because they can't do that. What will sustain you is the first thing Paul tells us in this passage. Stand firm in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Long-term battle readiness is maintained by standing firm in the Lord and the power of his might. Putting on the whole armor of God. Standing in unity with Jesus is to stand as an adversary of Satan. Now, our first piece of the whole armor of God is the belt of truth. When I was in the Marines, I did a wedding detail once and uh, where you, maybe you've seen it on TV or something, I don't know, but where you cross swords and the bride and groom, they walk under the swords and then there's this little thing you say and do whatever. And we had swords that we used for that wedding detail. And we had a white leather belt that supported the sword. And I think there was a brass frog. I think it's called a frog that holds the sword on the belt. And we had white gloves and, you know, the Marine Corps dress blue uniforms. It was all very flashy. It looks really good. But the thing about the belt 
the sword, and even the uniform we wore, is that none of those things was even remotely intended for battle. They were only for show. They were never intended for battle. Matter of fact, if you would have tried to use those things in battle, wear those things in battle, they would have been far more of a hindrance than a help. They were just decorations for ceremonies and parades. The belt of truth, however, is more than just a decoration. The belt of truth is the foundational part of the rest of the armor. It secures the other pieces in place, allowing for readiness, for freedom, and mobility. In the book of Exodus, we read about God delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. That's when they left Egypt after 400 years of slavery. And we read about when God instituted the feast of the Passover to help the Israelites remember that he had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, in regard to the Passover meal, this is what we read. It says, in this way, you shall eat it with your waist girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The Israelites are being told to eat the Passover with their waist girded. In our vernacular, that we would say with your belt firmly fastened, which seems kind of odd when you're eating like a, a, a holiday meal, so to speak. Usually people loosen their belt for that. Now, why would they firmly fasten? Why would God tell them to firmly fasten their belt when they eat the Passover meal? Well, there's a couple of reasons for it. One is that fastening their belt is a recognition of a potential threat. And two, it puts them in a posture of readiness. In 1 Peter, Peter writes, gird up the loins of your mind. Now that may sound kind of funny to us, gird up the loins of your mind, but it's like you or I saying, fasten your belt, be ready for action, be alert, be ready to go. We had something <clears throat> we called an H harness, I think. Yeah. Gosh, it's hard for me to remember some what some of these things are called now. It's been a long time since I've been in the military, but we had something, I believe it was called an H harness. And there was a belt that was the main component of that gear. It was like a web belt and it snapped around your waist and everything else kind of attached to it or hung off of it. And when we were standing around, not a lot going on, not really doing anything, you know, not much happening, no threat. Everyone would be standing around with their buckle undone on their belt. And um, sometimes we'd even just take all that off and drop it on the ground. But when it was time to be ready for action, when it was time to do something, everyone's gear was on and it was buckled. If it wasn't firmly fastened, everything else just flopped around loosely and got in the way. So that belt is very important. It's foundational to the rest of the gear, just like the belt of truth and the whole armor of God. And in the armor of God, the belt of truth is, it's a metaphor for preparedness. It's the foundation upon which the rest of the armor rests. And it's also a metaphor for preparedness. Preparedness is built on truth. The truth that provides readiness and it provides mobility. To put on the belt of truth is to prepare. It is a readiness that supports the other parts of the armor. 
And, you know, I mentioned we had some gear, of course, that was intended as parade gear. It was uh, just really just for show, just for decoration. It looked super cool, but it was never intended for battle. It was just for show. It was ornamental. Now, the whole armor of God is more than just something ornamental. It is part of who we are as followers of Jesus. So when we talk about putting on the whole armor of God, it's more than just hanging ornaments on ourselves and trying to look good or trying to act like a Christian. The armor, it's part of who we are. It becomes part of who we are. It's medical, metaphorical of other things. The whole armor of God is more than something we just hang on ourselves to try to make ourselves look like Christians because ornamental garb is it's useless in battle. I can attest to that uh, from firsthand experience. It's, yeah, it's, you, it's something you wouldn't want to have. So in considering the whole armor of God, an excellent question to ask ourselves as we think about it is, am I standing in Jesus with this armor or am I a religious person hanging ornamental garb on myself, trying to look like what I think a Christian should look like with this shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the the shoes of the gospel of peace, the breastplate of righteousness. Are these things just ornamental garb that I'm trying to put on so I look like a Christian or are they really part of who I am? Do I know Jesus? That's what we're getting at. Or am I just a religious person hanging ornaments on myself trying to be what I think a Christian might look like? And I think that's answered in what truth we are talking about as we put on the belt of truth. What truth is that? the belt of truth? Is it objective truth? Are we talking about tailing the truth? Are we talking about the truth of the gospel? Objective truth, telling the truth are things we may do and use in spiritual warfare, but the foundation of the armor is the gospel truth. And if you don't believe the gospel, the battle is irrelevant because you've already lost. The gospel is the foundational truth that holds everything else in place. And when you read the New Testament, Paul deals with false teachers in several different places. He talks about them a lot. And when Paul addresses false teachers, his discourse centers around a central point. His discourse is centered around the message of the gospel when Paul talks about false teachers. When he talks about false teachers, he is talking about teachers who add to the gospel or subtract from it in some way, teachers who subvert the gospel or pervert the message or twist it in some way, the message that Christ died for our sins and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul is combating when he talks about false teachers. Now, I have plenty of my own interpretations of scripture that differ from other Christians. And I don't consider those things arbitrary, obviously. 
However, the hymn cornerstone says this. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. It is not my personal take on things in which my hope is found. It's not my ability to um, dig obscure things out of scripture upon which my hope is found. My hope is found in Jesus. When Paul tells us to put on the belt of truth, that's the truth he's talking about. The gospel is the truth upon which the rest of the armor rests. Without it, a person is not a Christian. Without the gospel, a church is not a church. If it is added to, if it is subtracted from, if it is changed in any way, it is not the gospel. The gospel is the truth upon which our faith is built and the truth that we do not compromise as Christians. We do not compromise on the truth of the gospel. To reject the gospel is to reject God. The gospel is the foundational truth of Christianity. There is no compromising on that. And that directly contrasts with the vagueness of how culture addresses truth. Unfortunately, that often puts Christians at odds with a culture that says everything's okay, that there are many ways to God, that there is no absolute truth, all of these different things, or God is whatever you want to believe he is, silly things like that. And that's not easy to navigate as a Christian. It's difficult. You know, sometimes you might even be called a bigot. You might even be called intolerant, which is ironic because Christianity says all people are created in the image of God and therefore all people have value. So when you find yourself at odds with the world, remember that living in obedience to Christ is synonymous with living as an adversary to Satan. And then tighten up the belt of truth. It's difficult to stand in the truth when you are amongst people who don't. Tighten your belt. Christians define things. That's what we do. We say yes to some. We say no to others. And God has called us to be salt and light in a dark world, to interact with the world around us, to live out our faith in our community in practical and peaceful ways. So how do we become salt and light in a dark and bland world? How do we do that? We do that by humbly submitting ourselves to the Lord, standing firm in the strength of his might and putting on the whole armor of God. By winning those small, day-to-day, simple, mundane battles that we fight, the decisions we make day in and day out to live in obedience to Christ. Settle yourself and rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the belt of truth and live your faith every day in practical ways, one small battle at a time. If you and your church can do that, I don't think there's any limit to what God might do with you in your community. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful.